Welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast 64. Tonight we will be talking with our special guest, Jason Cordova. You'd like to introduce yourself, Jason? Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jason Cordova. I am the president of the Metropolitan State University of Denver Crypto Science Alumni Society. And so this will be a bit different than our normal ones in regards to he is not a skeptic. So it should make for good discussions. Uh, Brian is not with us tonight. He has ran off to Utah to join the Mormons because he really, really, really wanted that underwear. I so, think he just was looking for a couple extra wives. Oh. And I just confronted him on that. He did not deny it. <laughs> I thought he had his hands full already, but I guess to each their own. And, of course, we have Mac, as always. As always. Not always. But no, most, you've missed most, one. Yeah. Most often. Well, most we've all missed one now. That Brian has finally missed one. And then, of course, there's the lovely Kimberly. Hello, all. And I am your host for tonight, Ian. So, um, well, the very first thing I wanted to do was, uh, uh, you know, if you keep me up with the news, and you know, I think you know we all live in Colorado. We recently had a rather tragic event um, for the midnight showing of Batman, the new Batman movie in Aurora here. And I just wanted to take a moment and give our um, sympathies for the victims and families of um that event it you know it's kind of sad and as everyone knows we are comic book geeks ourselves so it is kind of, you know it, it hits in even a more closely places you know to some extent even though we might not know the people they are a family in regards to you know the fandom stuff so you know it, it's a sad event and there's not much you can really say about it because it just is that kind of a thing yeah so the theater is um really pretty close to me and and yeah i've been a geek my whole life i've gone to lots and lots of midnight premieres of, of big movies like this and if i wasn't so old and crotchety these days it could totally have been someplace i would have been so um yeah the the follow friday morning i got a number of calls from family and friends who were just like tell me you weren't there and i wasn't um but i mean it's it's absolutely tragic and and horrible and yeah um our sympathies go out to everybody involved. It's just terrible. My family was kind of needlessly shaken up, but they had been at that theater a week before mm-hmm. seeing Singing in the Rain. So um, my wife and I went and caught The Amazing Spider-Man and on Sunday at a different theater. And she noticed that the lady who was cleaning the theater afterwards was kind of shaken. So... She talked to her a little bit about what happened, and then they we, we talked to one of the other people at the theater and asked them if they had somebody that they'd been talking to about the event to, to make sure that they were right with it. And they did have they did have counselors that they brought in, which is good. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I hope people aren't, you know, don't be afraid to go to the movies, okay? You know, this is not a common thing. You can't let this, you know, create fear for and think, oh, no, I can't go out in public anymore. Go, enjoy the movies, get out there, keep your life going, because that's the main way to make sure this guy doesn't win, is to not let it destroy you. So, Okay, well, with that said, um, let's move yeah, on let's to the Let's talk about other, yeah, other places you can go out to in Colorado and, and hopefully uh, every, I will be safe and everything will be fine. Um, Okay, so I talked last time, and I will mention it again, that we've got the Free Thought Film Festival here in Denver, and um, that starts next week. Uh, the first day of the festival is Tuesday the 31st with a tap takeover, 
the following night is going to be poker in the church, and then you can go to their website and you can see their list of films. There's a bunch of Q and A's with different filmmakers. Um, it should be really great, so definitely check that out. Uh, also, Wednesday, August 1st, the Denver Museum of Nature and Science is doing that sim- sci-fi film series. Uh, the next one is going to be The Fly on August 1st, and uh, I'd love to see a number of people come out for The Twelve Monkeys on the 8th. Uh, also at the museum is going to be a really big uh, science event with the Curiosity landing on Mars. They're going to have an event on Sunday night. Um, it should be really fun. It doesn't really happen until about 11.30 our time, but uh, they're opening the doors at 8. It's going to be a big old party, and it should be great. And then coming up, um, really quick now, uh, as, as we're trying to organize the whole thing, we've got the Atheist Alliance of America Conference on Labor Day weekend here in Denver. It's going to be huge. I cannot say enough how much every single person should come out and be there. And if you've got any questions at all, let me know. Um, it's going to be really terrific. We're going to have such amazing speakers there. You should definitely come out. I also wanted to mention that this past weekend, I just got home last night from Grand Junction where uh, I attended the first Humanist Secular Convention. It was put on by uh, Humanists Doing Good out in Grand Junction. And um, I cannot say enough of how great this conference was. I met just absolutely amazingly terrific people. Jesse Bond is kind of the leader of that organization, put it together. He was awesome. The people he works with, I mean, just a, a really incredibly great, cohesive group. They gave us lots of ideas for things to do around town to um, to just just do good. I mean, that's, that's their point. Um, I wanted to give a shout-out, too. I met some really great folks out from Durango who have a group called uh, Durango Skeptics and Atheists. And we had some amazing conversations, and they're just really great people. So um, any of them listening, because I totally pimped this, um, hi, glad you're here, and it was just fabulous meeting you. So, um, again, anybody who gets a chance to attend a conference of, of skeptics and atheists, I really, this is my first big one, and I will guarantee you'll have an amazing time. So that's it for announcements for now. Okay. Kimberly, quick question I could throw in there yeah. on that uh, sci-fi film series. They have any plans to do Total Recall? Right, that they should. I don't think that's in there right now. Um, this is the they just started the series, so I'm kind of hoping that it'll take off and they'll continue with great movies like that and talk about, you know, the physicalities of the mind and okay. how. Okay, well, memory. hold on a minute. I'm not. I'm not sure we're talking about the same movie now. <laughs> oh. I love Total Recall. I, I I can't wait to see the new one. I still love the hell out of the old one. Oh, I got a kick out of the fact it's just it's totally over the top. But at an hour and thirty one minutes into the movie, the violence that had already been over to the over the top hit a new high when we had the bad guy kick over the fish tank and we've got a close up of dying fish on the floor. I'm like, fish violence. Fish violence. Yeah, see, we watch movies differently, you and I. I don't. I've seen that movie dozens of times and don't recall that scene. <laughs> I know where you could go to remember it, or at least you know get a false memory of it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Okay. So basically, what we're going to do now is more or less hand the podcast over to Jason and let him talk about UFOs, and we will basically do a normal thing of interrupting and. Getting yep. in on the conversation. Yeah. So we're going to try and be nice to Jason because, you know, he's kind of outnumbered here. So the, the, the idea is we will 
hear his ideas, be respectful, and come in with our counters and whatever else to go wherever the hell we end up going. So, Jason, take it away. All right. Well, thank you. First of all, I wanted to uh, thank you for inviting me on the show. I consider it uh, a high honor to be uh, recognized as worthy of appearing on a show by the skeptical community. But uh, no disrespect to some of my colleagues, but they're certainly, um, in, in some regards, is a, a lack of scrutinizing research, um, which is really what I hoped or had intended to do when I founded the, uh, originally the student organization as the Crypto Science Society, um, and now the uh, alumni chapter of the same group, which really is to legitimize and institutionalize the study of strange and unusual phenomena. Uh, I've come from a, a fairly accepting background on the topic and was um, just somewhat surprised at the uh, the negativity that a lot of, uh, I guess, mainstream culture, particularly in this country, uh, tends to give to these sorts of topics, and I didn't think that was necessarily fair. So uh, I feel that there's a great deal of scientific knowledge that can be gained by studying these phenomena, and um, that's really what I hope to do. I would also like to point out, um, uh, and I appreciate the distinctions uh, from Ian, uh, saying that I'm not a skeptic, uh, I would, I would uh, iterate that myself and many of the other members of the Crypto Science Society uh, would consider ourselves skeptics in an open-minded sense. Um, I've run into a number of people over the years who consider themselves skeptics that I would put more in the category of a pseudo-skeptic, less, uh, less in the range of looking at uh, a phenomenon or a potential mystery as a legitimately objective scientist, uh, rather than just taking a, a dismissive approach. And those are the individuals that I tend to call pseudo-skeptics. Hopefully, uh, from, what I, from what I know of Ian, and uh, hopefully from the rest of you, I, I don't believe that you fit that specific criterion. But um, all that aside, again, I'd like to thank you for inviting me on the show. And uh, I'd actually like to invite you to ask me just some basic questions about the organization. Okay. Um, actually, let, I'd, I'd like to ask you some basic questions just about sure. you, Jason, if that's all right. Oh, absolutely. Um, I watched, you know, I went to your uh, YouTube channel and I watched mm -hmm. your interview. Um, I, I watched the one that I thought would give me kind of the best, the best insight into, you know, just who, who we're going to be talking to. And it was the alumni, the alumni interview. And you talked about your background and, and the fact that I really appreciated the fact that you were saying that you don't think that more things happen to you. You just think that you keep your mind more open to actually seeing the experiences. I like that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You were talking about a experience when you were younger of a glowing amber ball. Yes. Did you ever have any, uh, nothing beyond that except just the mystery, right? It was gone after you, saw it and your dad said go to bed right right um as far as yeah in, re, any residual um lingering effects of the encounter uh no 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 nothing other than excitement um mm -hmm. 
it was somewhat interesting that the following morning, I don't remember if I mentioned it on the video, um, well, I, I don't know necessarily that the two events were connected, but I find it interesting that they happened so close in proximity, was that um, in the morning, uh, as I was discussing the event of the night before with my parents, um, we heard a big crash, and our, our apartment building was set uh, right nestled between the highway, Highway 82, and um, the Roaring Fork River. Um, we heard a giant crash, and we looked out the window to see huge chunks of ice just pouring down the river, as if like okay. a glacier or something had, had dropped into it. And this <laughs> lasted for a good 10 minutes, um, and I had never... Jason, you cut off. Did we lose him? I'm not sure. Ian, are I'm you there? I'm here. Uh, looks like his call dropped. So hopefully, hopefully it's coming back up. It should re-add him automatically. You don't think it was the ice that got him, do you? Well, it's possible he talked about something that he was not supposed to talk about. Or, could just be ISP stuff. Uh. Okay, I'm trying him again. But, you know, I, I, I actually, I do think... In calling him a calling him a non-skeptic, you know, from what I see in that, I don't think that he approaches things less scientifically. Okay, well, Here, I I think he asks questions. I think he asks the same right. questions that we do. But he kind he, of approaches it from the other angle, from the other direction. Yeah, where he believes that these things are, be, where he he approaches it from a point of confirmation bias that he believes these things are out there. And that the evidence is the evidence is there to find. Right. Okay. Looks like he's back online. All right. Excellent. Let's try him again then. Jason, I am back. We missed I, you. I apologize. I don't know how long I was I was talking. My computer froze up. And I think I for a little while before I even realized what had happened, and then I had to take uh, emergency action. You're in, wait a minute. You're in Denver. Yes, I'm in Denver. And your computer froze? Yes. What the hell kind of air conditioning system do you have, man? Because <laughs> uh, the, the heat outside was of Tartarusian proportions. Yes. I actually think it's a it's a bizarre inversion due to overheating. Well, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> the computer's been having a little bit of trouble with streaming video lately. Ah. And We've all been there. Yep. Yeah. So where did I leave off? Uh, we were talking about... The ice. The ice. We were talking about the ice, yes. Uh, ironically, yes. We were talking about the <laughs> ice. <laughs> you asked and your computer froze. Residual effects of sighting? Is that? Yeah, we were talking about, you didn't know if the two things were related, but it was an odd coincidence. Right, right. So, bottom line, that's, I, I think, where where, <laughs> where most accurate explanation of, of all that. So. Okay. And I was I was commenting while you were away that I didn't think that you were less of a questioner than we are. It's just that you may approach it from the standpoint that you start off from a point of saying, I believe that this is here. Let's ask the questions that are going to prove it. Let's ask the questions that, that prove it right. Well, I, I more more rule out all of the possibilities. And once I'm once we're left with uh, something unexplainable. It's a process of elimination 
and uh, I believe it's more of less of an un, more of a, how to describe it, um, through process of elimination, um, we're often left with an unknown rather than something provable. I don't think it's uh, really practical to try to prove that uh, an object, for example, say a sighting of a light in the sky, it's it's beyond our capabilities to prove beyond any reasonable doubt that that's an alien visitation or that of a ghost or spirit or anything else. Really, all we can do scientifically is determine that it's not something that's explainable by um, more mundane possibilities. Right. You can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is. You can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that it isn't. Correct. Now, that said, uh, I do also take into account that um, the amount of information that we have as far as, um, you know, we're never going to get a, uh, a, I don't, a lot of, a lot of so-called paranormal researchers uh, are looking to prove it to the world that this phenomenon it exists. They're looking for this proverbial smoking gun, holy grail, single piece of evidence that's going to settle the dispute once and for all. I don't believe that exists. I think that um, through credible uh, scrutinizing research, uh, building evidence, build that case um, until you have a, a, a surmounting body of evidence and make the case that way. Which Now, Jason, can I ask you, why don't you think that there will be a smoking gun found? I mean, to my mind, that would make more sense that should if these things existed, that concrete proof would mm -hmm. uh, would be uh, available. And well, you're kind of saying the opposite. Well, um, I guess it's more of a matter of perspective. There, there's, they're looking for the expectation that one piece of evidence is going to settle everything. I feel that there's been plenty of evidence um, that's been collected over the years um, to add to, to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. I believe that that evidence exists. Um, the only... Uh, the, the problem uh, comes from the, the way that some of the research has been approached and how much of the research has been viewed in the past. Um, for example, um, uh, physical evidence collected from an alleged crash site of a UFO. Um, there is physical evidence that exists, uh, whether that be um, government documents, uh, hardware collected from crash sites, um, implants uh, removed from alleged contactees or abductees, um, all put together uh, creates this, this body of evidence. Um, but unfortunately, just as with, um, say, in the earlier parts of this century, uh, the scientific communities were absolutely against any possibility of an idea that human beings could travel, could fly, because the speeds necessary for that to happen would, would kill a person. Uh, the, or with, with any of these other scientific advances that, that we've made and proven uh, to be possible. Uh, now, I'm sorry, can you, can you, yes. I, I'm not sure what you mean by that, that there were scientists who believed it was impossible to fly. Mm. Well, there uh, there was there were at one point people who did not believe that heavier than air flight could take place. Yes, yes, correct. Yeah, I think I'm I'm getting off on a tangent here. Well, well I, I, but I mean, 
I guess one question I would ask on that, and maybe I'm just simply ignorant of, of the history of the science there, I can't imagine that that was ever a prominent thought. Or it was like kind of like a throwaway line, the way like you know Bill Gates is supposed to have said that he can't imagine any program taking over 640k to run. Um, I mean, we had birds. Obviously, flight is possible. Like we had that real early on. I can't imagine anybody saying no. You don't see any birds there. That's that's not well, right. Well, but that itself isn't the human flight. I know. Apparently, my I think I guess I had a great grandfather who very much believed that the moon landing was staged just because it would be impossible to um, get to the moon because that would um, defy the biblical story of the Tower of Babel. Mm. And there's often logic like that used by people in order to say things are impossible. Yes, but and... is that prevailing scientific thought is my question. I mean, not to disparage your uncle too badly, but I don't consider him an authority that I yeah. need to... Yeah, well, know. no, I agree. It was great-grandfather, I think. I'm not completely Sorry. sure. My mom's going about it. Well, but, if, you know, if may, a, go ahead. If, if I may, that, that the same kind of the prevailing scientific thought, just an example. Um, obviously, today, the prevailing scientific thought is that uh, it is impossible for any anything anywhere to travel faster than the speed of light. Right? That's accepted, that's recognized. Anything that discounts that is dealt with uh, very harshly. Not necessarily saying that, um, you know, we're, we're turning uh, Einsteinian physics on its ear just by, uh, you know, it takes a lot of evidence to, to back up such a claim. Right? right. And we, we thought we might have had something to do it, but that right. was proven to be a mistake. And nobody so. wants to be the one to really knock that out. Even I, I don't. That's would. not the impression I got, though. That, well, um, we, you know, we just saw that happen with the um, super collider stuff. They were saying, "Oh, it looks like we may have had something move faster than the speed of light." Mm -hmm. But uh, and everyone was kind of excited, like, "Wait a minute, what does this mean?" And it doesn't. I, and I, I did not at all get the impression that the people who were doing it were saying, "Oh, we're scared that we're going to change science." If anything, they were going the opposite way. It's like we might change science as we know it. Well, but it's a mixed bag there. Because if, if in fact that, that new claim is true, then there's a whole lot of work to be done. They have to rethink everything. There's a whole lot I don't of think scientists oh, yes, fear that. Yeah. No, I, I think I scientists think... welcome that. I, I mean, I, I, think, I think that's what my difficulty with your premise is. I don't think there's a scientist worth mentioning who would look at something like reversing the law that nothing can be faster than the speed of light, who thinks, oh, we can't let that happen. So I, maybe I think it's... they'd be excited. Maybe it's not prevailing scientific thought, but maybe it's just prevailing thought in general. You know, a thousand yeah. years ago, we believed the Earth was flat. Today, well, we've seen it. It's not. Right. And I guess, again, you know, you had your scientists throughout, throughout time and stuff that, that kind of questioned this stuff. I'm not saying that science is always right by any stretch of the imagination. Of, of course, they, they kind of alter things. But it just seems like, again, just to make the the claim it seems out of context to me i guess is what i worry about here all right so uh here's an example lord kelvin a very prominent scientist at the time actually i believe that was a quote of his uh, lord kelvin no, known for the kelvin scale of temperature mm -hmm. yes um it was he that was quoted in saying saying that uh we could never human beings could never fly because the amount of speeds that was necessary would kill a man for that to happen. Um, okay. Well, he's not an, not an aerospace authority, but... 
Certainly. And, of course, given, given the, uh, um, the prominence of his, his work, his notoriety at the time, um, when a scientist like that claims that such a thing is, then the, uh, the general public or many of uh, maybe their university students uh, might, are, are inclined to listen and agree. Um, while certainly there are those who defy that. And, yeah, well, they uh, had to have been because so we have flight now. It's a good thing that Wilbur and Orville Wright were not auditing his class. Bicycle mechanics who took extremely detailed uh, measurements and made tests uh, to, to prove their, their devices uh, a viable proof of concept device. So thank you. Thank, we thank them. Yeah, um, but you you look at one of the um, flaws in science, and that is human ego, which does get in the way. Yeah, it, it does get in the way. And then there's a fundamental uh, flaw in science as well. I believe science is a fabulous tool. Um, the human ego does tend to get in the way, and everybody is subject to bias. It's not science itself that is the problem. It's the politics behind it. Uh University professors, for example, you know, it's not science that's worried about keeping tenure. It's not science itself that's worried about um, continuing uh, to receive funding. Um, and when controversial topics, uh, such as things so-called fringe or paranormal, are introduced, there's such a ridicule and a scoff factor that uh, many scientists are unwilling to tackle that. Okay. I'm going to throw in here real quick. I'm going to return to a segment that we used to have on the podcast called Name the Logical Fallacy. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm talking about the fact that Lord Kelvin's commentary on man will never fly because of the speeds, etc., etc., and people saying, oh, well, he must know because he's a scientist. What logical fallacy right. is that? Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, authority. Appeal to authority. Appeal yep. to authority. And the appeal to authority means that, well, he's a scientist, so he must know. Well, he's not a scientist about that. Right. So he doesn't know, <laughs> obviously. All right. <laughs> right. Let me, uh, let me ask one more question here, Jason, and then I'll let, you, I'll let you go, you know, hog wild. I do well with questions. Okay. You do believe that we are being visited. Why do you think they are... Why do you think they have any interest in us? That is the $10 million question. I have a number of theories. I, I believe... I'd love to hear the theories. So, if, for example, I think a, a lot of people tend to pigeonhole the idea um, that if we're being visited, it's by one overarching consciousness. Uh, we'll say one, one individual civilization with a unified goal and intention. Um, when... Uh, I believe the reality of it is that there is there are many different groups and goals and uh, motivations at work. Everything ranging from simply observation to survey, uh, data collection, or genetic manipulation. I believe there are definitely other species out there. I just don't know... We're not exactly in the fashionable part of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. Earth does seem to be a particularly interesting body in the solar system. As we've uh, as we've expanded and and 
been able to collect information on multiple other solar systems. I think we're up to about 800 individual planets orbiting other stars. And uh, so far, Earth is the only one that still fits the criteria, uh, like many of our characteristics that we hold so dear. Um, it seems like it would be an interesting place of study, just as with any other orbiting body out there in the solar system. I find them all equally fascinating. There's no reason why uh, another intelligence might simply wish to observe our planet uh, to add to their body of research. Okay, so you're saying that because we study other worlds, and if we found one with life, it would be particularly interesting, because life on, because habitable planets seem to be on the rare side, that mm. would that would put them as wanting to check us out, because, again, habitable planets are kind of on the rare side. Even, yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, now see, that makes sense. That makes sense as a theory. It makes a lot more sense than, you know, because we're Earth, we're special. Right, yes. And, well, e even not, not feeling special, just the fact that Earth is another planet around another star, um, I find all planets incredibly fascinating. Um, how can, you know, as a planetologist, uh, planetary science, uh, comparison, uh, one planet to another, uh, you know, the more you know about any one planet, the more you know about the rest of them. You, uh, Douglas, are you a Douglas Adams reader? A little bit. <laughs> I, I loved his concept of the teaser. Mm -hmm. The teaser is the alien who lands on a planet in front of some schmo that nobody will ever believe and parades yeah. up and down in front of them wearing, wearing antennas and making beep, beep noises. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. There's that, too. There's no, uh, uh, you know, who's to say that a significantly advanced society might just be prone to uh, prank-style behavior. Yeah. Joyriding teenagers, but that's the thing. I, I, one of the sites I listed here was latest UFO sightings. And I was looking through the stuff on that, and most of them are actually really easy to explain as something rational and logical. That was your post, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and, and that is... Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, you, you're talking about the science of it all. I, if you want to be scientific, you need to get a lot of these, I'm going to call them lunatics, mm -hmm. off of doing it because they jump at everything. I mean, one of the videos, my wife watches the show Fact or Fake, and I end up catching a lot of yeah. the episodes now. Oh. And one of the episodes, they had an almost identical video that they debunked by showing that actually it was probably just a hang glider at night. Mm -hmm. And I saw almost an identical video on him. Like, that looks exactly like the one they showed to be a hang glider at night. You're talking about the triangle-shaped UFO? Yeah, well, it was, um, it was um, a lights forming in a triangle. And you could make out three to four of them at any yeah. given time. But they were all, you know, they, they were obviously in a perfect triangle, not moving all in the exact perfect distance from each other mm -hmm. and yeah. so it was one object and like i said um in fact or faked they'd already shown that that is um, almost definitely a hang glider flying at night well yeah mm -hmm. but it was a ufo <laughs> right <laughs> technically because it was not right. an identified flying object it was so a they ufo there would break into some clarifications of terminology mm -hmm. um ufo obviously coined right. by the air force project blue book in their uh, original investigation of the topic uh, unidentified flying object. Uh, pretty blanketing statement. Anything you can't right. identify easily is a UFO. Yeah. Well, the problem uh, comes I watched the TV series. 
<laughs> the problem comes from most of these people not trying to identify them. And something, right. oh, I can't identify it right here and now. It must be an alien spacecraft. And it's like, okay, try and go through the identification right. stuff. Yeah, we, we've so. actually gone on other videos like that where there was, um, we had a ghost video quite a while back that um, supposedly proved a ghost. It was in a, um, where was that? It was a, the graveyard. Uh, it was, in, uh, I think it was, uh, at, it was in Atlanta, I think. It was somewhere, it was yeah. somewhere there was a Civil War graveyard. And about a factor fake. No, this, no, it was uh, it was a video that this this family took and sent a copy to the news, and they copyrighted it so that nobody could use it without their permission. But they went into it with the expectation that they would see ghosts, yeah. and they right. saw something which they explained as a ghost. And right. basically, looked to that all to us like a, ki- a kid in white climbing a tree and then jumping back down from the tree. Mm-hmm. And the guys are like, "Oh no, that's definitely a ghost." And they didn't, after they videotaped it, on the videotape talking about it, they didn't go and look closer or anything. They got the videotape, they stayed almost exact same distance, didn't get any closer physically, didn't zoom in or anything. They said, oh, that's a ghost, and that was it. And it's like, you can't do that. Right. Confirmation. And that is is one of the bane of uh, the entertainment media element of all this, where people have gotten, um, you've got a lot of very clever uh, and skilled hoaxers and some very amateur ones. Like, as you said, it's very easy to to hoax some of this stuff and to make a lot of hype out of it. And unfortunately, that does a lot to discredit it. Um, it that- certainly does, because you, you've got that instance of here's there's a thousand, a thousand claims of extraterrestrial contact and 999 of them have been proven false. Right. So, but to believe that the one is true when everything else was proven false seems to really go against the logic of it. Isn't it so, more likely at that point to be another hoax? Again, we we run into that difficulty of obviously we can't uh, say 100% that this is an alien spacecraft. Okay, What we have is, um, for example, Dr. Jalen Hynek, um, Dr. Michio Kaku, even more recently... Um, is often quoted in stating that 90% of all of the sightings can be explained as uh, mundane or natural or uh, human-made craft. Um, There's that leftover 10% that remains unexplainable. Now of that 10%, um, we're entering into a realm of struggling to really identify what it is. that of that 10%, certainly that could be of extraterrestrial origin. Or that could be some other natural phenomenon that we're still yet to understand. Um, in either case, it, I feel that it, it's worthy of further study. Now that further study comes from groups like Crypto Science Society that does uh, try to approach it much more scientifically. We have groups like the Mutual UFO Network, which I, I posted a link to. Um, they are the uh, only, or uh, up until recently, uh, there were there were a couple other organizations, but at this point they're the, the largest international UFO reporting center and the only civilian organization that researches UFOs, that actually investigates these UFO sightings. Um, and... Uh, un- because it is a civilian organization, um, its uh, its human resources 
are derived from volunteers, people who uh, have the time to devote to research it. Uh, research it. Many of them are retired aer aerospace professionals um, or other scientists, engineers, those sorts of things, um, and some just with a basic uh, interest in understanding. Um, they they do the best job they can with their resources available. Um, unfortunately, their resources tend to be spread fairly thin. Okay, I have another question, Jason. Um, there was an there was a video circulating around the internet, uh, real big last year. Not uh, haven't heard so much about it this year, but the infamous Stan Romanek video, mm -hmm. the one with the alien peeping in his window. Yes. Have you taken a look at that, and do you have any thoughts on that video? I have, and um, I actually uh, have been involved in researching the Stan Romanek case personally. My cousin and colleague Alejandro Rojas was uh, one of the original local researchers on the case. Um, I've had the opportunity to review the, the larger body of evidence that Stan Romanek brings to the table. Um, including more videos, more even <sighs> videos that are even more compelling, using that term somewhat subjectively, than the one that was largely publicized. And um, my take on that particular video um, is I just don't know. I, I don't think that Stan Romanik has the capacity or the resources to fake that sort of thing. Now, having said that, do I think that possibly someone else is creating this around him? Quite possibly. Um, there's There are other things about the case that um, cause me to question. Um, but generally, I think that at one time, uh, Stan Romanik has had experiences that are unexplainable. Um, his continued experiences and his focusing on capitalizing causes me to be very leery and I have uh, distanced myself from him and uh, the case in general. So you're, you're kind of thinking that his continued experiences are bids for attention or ways to prove that the original experience were was true by making more yes I think and and I think this is an unfortunate side effect with with many experiencers or contactees they may have and this is my just come from my experience from uh, investigating things and interviewing witnesses and researching firsthand is that uh, an individual has an experience and they get a certain amount of attention and it may fuel the ego, depending on the personality of the individual. Um, there's some element of ego at work there, and they like the attention, and they want it to continue. So they try to uh, perpetuate it and keep things going. Uh, and I, I think that's kind of what's going on with Romanik. So the original was, you think, a valid experience, and then, you know, the fact that his integrity is called into question with these subsequent items doesn't sure. dissuade anything about the original no. experience. Is that is that right? Yes. 
Yes. Okay. Um, and as far as the um, that specific video, the one you're talking about, where um, I think they, they nicknamed it the Boo video, where there's a, a, apparently some sort of being peeking in the window, looking around, and then dropping down. Um, you know, that's, that's nowhere near uh, his original experience. Um, the, the, first, the first thing that he claims to have encountered uh, was videotaping a very odd object around Red Rocks Park here in Colorado. Okay. Uh, he said that he was he was trying he was using his video camera to try to show off Colorado to get his at that time his girlfriend uh, Lisa to join him and move out to Colorado from Nebraska. Um, it was that point he caught this strange object on video which does um, appear to do some very unconventional and unique things been analyzed very thoroughly and it doesn't fit into the criteria of the usual uh, discounting sorts of things whether it be a, a load of balloons or a flock of birds or okay and this is the one you're talking about that he didn't have the capacity to fake um correct okay um, I don't the the boo video the one where the alien peeping in the window i that that's been faked by Yes. other people so yeah. and somewhat easily yep from what i understand some some much more ridiculous than others but yes and i think that was a very very tactically um foolish way to release it uh the way they did that as well um but whatever the case uh yes the, there are other there are other videos that they have as well that i think would be more difficult to fake um but uh it's all proprietary at this point. Okay. And I, I think I commented in the podcast at the time that what's peeking in the window is clearly an Asgard, and they have no interest in window peeping. <laughs> They're sexless. Right. Um, yes, he claimed that, that that was the bathroom window. Um, and it's a second, it was a second floor, if I remember correctly. Um, so, yeah, whatever the case. Um, other things tend to... He has strange things happening around him, and there's a lot of uh, people who have gathered around that are very um, happy to believe everything. That Jeff Beckman, for instance. Um, uh, yes, Jeff Beckman, um, a number of others. Um, and an another unfortunate side effect of the situation is that... Um, People who are more scrutinizing or question him or the validity of anything in the case um, often get discounted by the followers, which which is frustrating. <laughs> Would tend to be. And I appreciate your answer on that. Thank you, Jason. You're welcome. Okay. Kimberly, Ian, yes. ask some questions. Yeah. Well, I, I, I feel like I keep going around. Me and him. <laughs> I feel like I keep going around in circles because I mean, what you're describing to me sounds like um, a, a kind of a little similar to the Mormons. You know, you've got somebody like Joseph Smith who has been convicted of um, trying to bamboozle people with fake treasure maps and um, you know ghost stories and stuff like that. And then years later, he comes back with apparently this time a really true story about crazy treasure maps and 
angels talking to him and stuff like that. But this time, this time isn't the fake. The last time, yeah, the last time was a fake, but not this time. This time's for real. Mm-hmm. I, I find that very incredulous. By the same token, with this guy, it's like, you know, yeah, he has pretty much proven that he's untrustworthy, that he's attention seeking, that he'll fake videos. Um, in those cases, but you know, I still buy the rest of them. Like, the once here you is, destroy your credibility, why would you go back to a person like that? That's that exactly. That that's my. Well, that's yeah, but, why myself and other researchers have distanced ourselves. Well, and, but but is there anything that this doesn't fall into that? This isn't the same thing as Joseph Smith. He was he was discredited and then came back and caught somebody to believe him and write it out. This was he started out credible and ended up discrediting himself because of everything he piled on top of things on on top of the original. And, and that is a good distinction. Um, and yes, I so I think that at one time, yes, he had an encounter, just like uh, myself. I had an encounter. I don't know what it was. Um, I I could speculate on on its origins, but I I don't have an answer to what exactly it was, other than what it appeared to be. Um, okay. But and so let me ask point, you this then, if I can. Um, and I'm sure you're you you may not be one of our regular listeners, one one of two of people in the world. No. Um, but not, we we've done shows about about how easy it is for the human brain to be fooled by perception of things, and how. Sure. You know, it's kind of a, a well-understood uh, experience of, of pareidolia that, you know, you seem to see a pattern here. You seem to have a, a coherent story that makes sense of the situation. But it turns out it really was just random stuff or, um, you know, just is now misremembered from kind of going through the memory channels so often that it's unfortunately you, you can't believe it just because you saw it like that. That almost makes it. Um, less likely. Um, I mean, do you ca- can you speak to that a little bit about you know understanding that it is easy to fool a human being, all of us, not not just you. And and you hate to use a term like fool because it, it seems to almost imply the person's done something wrong, mm-hmm. and that's not the case. It's just a matter of we can't always trust our senses, mm-hmm. and that you know again the the skeptic in me concludes that you know. I'm, I feel like I'm very open to new experiences and, and new understandings of the world. But if we're going to change things big time, then I need big time evidence to understand why I'm changing it. And sure. given pareidolia, given this, this instance and stuff like that, isn't it much more likely that you either don't remember it correctly or you misinterpreted what you did perceive than the fact that our entire understanding of the world really should be put aside and a new one should be entered. So let me let me see if I understand the question correctly. Okay. Basically, just based on our understanding that humans are fallible, humans are uh, subject to misunderstandings, um, then why should we reevaluate our perceptions of the world? Because of the possibility that we're experiencing things differently than the way we've understood them before. Right. Isn't it, <laughs> is it like, isn't it, you know, you, you kind of use the, you, you talked in the beginning about kind of an Occam's razor kind of thing of, you know, when you have, when you've eliminated every other possibility, isn't it most likely that 
whatever's left is um, is, is the truth. That's actually not Occam's razor. Occam's <laughs> so razor that, states that Occam's razor states that the most likely possibility is probably true. Right. Okay, and I'm, I'm confusing that with I, I think Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. And then you've got uh, the, yeah. Then you can bring statistics in and all that. But the the basically, I think what you're getting at the point is, uh, I I feel like humans' understanding of the natural world is a constantly evolving thing. Um, if you go back a um, thousand years ago and uh, present certain scientific advances to uh, so-called scientists of the time, um, or even traditional knowledge keepers, um, you might have a different reactions to, to their understanding of the world versus our understanding of the world. Basically, One of those reactions would be to catch on fire, I believe. <laughs> basically we humanity and our our database of information is constantly evolving we culturally relate to the world very differently um, than we than we did in the past and i'm sure in 50 to 100 years we'll relate to the world uh very differently than we do today um so i say why not explore things that defy our current understanding that is in fact that in my understanding what what science is all about <coughs> i i like the way by the way jason that you restated the question that kimberly was posing so that it actually kind of answered itself <laughs> if humans are fallible why should we reevaluate what we what we think we know because humans are fallible we should constantly reevaluate re what we think we know absolutely there, there is... and i agree with that as well, I mean, I, I think it's all worthy of investigation. It, it just seems that, you know, um, and maybe we should go back to this. Excuse me, that, um, you know, the investigation so far seems to be a lot of disprovings, from my understanding of it. And your your claim earlier was that there's plenty of evidence uh -huh. out there, yes. and taking taking um, all together really seems to prove it. So can because I, I don't I can't think of a single piece of evidence that I have heard of in my studies of this and I'm I'm not brand new to it mm -hmm. that hasn't been disproven or in my mind anyway hasn't been um, you know they say like well look we've got this thing and you don't know what it is I'm like okay I don't know what it is and they go well, that's right you don't know what it is that's because it's an alien artifact from from Beta Kappa two and it is used to control the minds of ancient Sumerians. I'm like, wait, wait, wait a second! I just thought we agreed that we don't know what it is. Like, it, like that should okay. be as far as we can go. That's <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought us back to that and the idea of um, the investigation and the evidence that that is available. Um, so let's take, um, whew, let's take a good, let's 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 tackle Roswell for example. Okay. Start. Um, we've got. Uh, a pretty good amount a body of evidence whether that be um, government documentation and eyewitness accounts of recovered hardware um, that at least point to something very advanced coming down in the New Mexico desert in 1947 
Okay, but I have to stop you right there, and I'm, I'm sorry to be so constantly nagging here, yes. but that's not my understanding at all. My understanding is that pieces of a weather balloon were found, and that months after this incident happened, people started re-remembering things differently to suggest that it was advanced hardware picked off okay. the ground of the desert, and that doesn't seem to suit, suit up with what we know. Okay, so uh, what you... Uh your understanding of it um, is based off of whose whose account? Do you have some references for that? I don't have them offhand, I will say, okay. but I think I could pretty quickly and easily find you a bunch of, of so, Oswell debunk material. Sure. Um, Joe Nickel, for example, had the uh, privilege of uh, uh, working with the Metro State Atheists to bring Joe Nickel, who I'm sure you know who Joe Nickel is, um, to his credit, has done a lot of good work to uh, go after the fraud sort of faith healer types, people trying to exploit um, people for money. Um, but in his talks, he also goes after things like Roswell, and he unfortunately doesn't uh, appear to have really done a whole lot of time investigating other than taking... Uh, General Hillencotter, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, let me remember, see if I can remember the, the, the name. It was not General Hillencotter, I apologize, it'll come to me in a second. Um, basically the official, the official Air Force explanation of the, uh, the weather balloon. And the pictures of the General alongside Colonel Jesse Marcel showing off the, the wreckage and the debris of what appeared to be a weather balloon. Um, that picture was um, staged, and Colonel Marcel uh, stated a number of times that, those, that that was not the wreckage that he investigated. Colonel Jesse Marcel was an aircraft accident investigator for the Army. He knew what he was looking at, um, and he... He said that when he was called into that room, um, and you can even see the look on his face, he's holding this piece of wreckage with a look on his face like, are you really kidding me? Um, there's also a memo in the general's hand that has been enhanced and blown up and actually says um, something to the effect of saucer recovered, um, cover story, uh, used cover story as a weather balloon, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Um, Colonel Marcel took a box of the wreckage home, showed it to his son and his wife. Um, his son was 11 years old at the time, Jesse Marcel Jr., who uh, wrote a book called Witness to Roswell, uh, which I highly recommend. In his own words, his experience of the time, uh, or the, of the event, and uh, description of really what his father and his mother uh, had gone through and seen, and it clearly, uh, according to Jesse Marcel Jr., who is a, uh, a war veteran and a medical doctor in the Army Reserve at this point. Um, his description of the material was very unlike a weather balloon. Um, it appeared to be uh, kind of like a foil, sort of, uh, very lighter, light as feather light, uh, foil type of material that couldn't be damaged and uh, I-beams that appeared to have some sort of hieroglyphics on them. Um, now, that said, this was upsetting 
to Colonel Marcel, who uh, didn't really know what to make of it. Obviously, uh, it wasn't really identifiable it, as the understanding of technology at the time in 1947. Um, does that mean that it was a alien spacecraft? Not necessarily. Does that mean it was possibly something that the Soviets had been developing and um, it was dealt with the highest degree of national security? Um, that's also a possibility as well. Um, so, and to this day, uh, the Air Force comes out with a new story about what what it may have been every couple of years. In the 90s, uh, they re retold the story that it was a Project Mogul balloon. Project Mogul didn't even, um, and we have documentation to confirm that Project Mogul didn't actually start until the 50s. Um, so there's a lot, lot of things about the official stories and explanations of the Air Force that don't add up, including the press release of the, uh, that went out on the radio, news broadcast, claiming that the Army had recovered a flying disc. Um, on, I believe it was July 8th, 1947, and then um, it was recanted uh, a day or so later. Um, so there's some inconsistencies with the official story, um, and the, uh, but consistencies with the eyewitness accounts. Okay. Are we still there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, there. I'm, just, I'm listening, We're just listening carefully. <laughs> okay, so... Um, there are, there are a number of very credible sources to which you can address the Roswell situation. Um, and if, if you'd like some, some links or references of that, I'm happy to provide them. Um, but uh, I think too often uh, a lot of people just take the official story at face value. And it's, it's hard to argue the, um, you know, when you say, well, the official story is wrong... Um, and it's a cover-up. I mean, conspiracies have a way of, you know, deflecting criticism because, you know, any anything I bring up, uh, yeah, but that doesn't seem to make sense. Like, ah, oh, well, they didn't want it to make sense. So, well, also um, within the idea of a cover-up, it doesn't necessarily mean they're covering up UFOs. Um, right. If I understand correctly, they did do a lot of um, testing out there of prototype aircrafts and sites. Sure. It, you sure. know, it easily could be a technology that. that blew up on them and they're hiding it all right so and and there's lots of stories i mean besides roswell there's lots of crash there's lots of account of crashes throughout the southwest and elsewhere um from documents that have been collected uh, or released through freedom of information acts um it seems like the combination of developing of advanced aircraft and the fact that the official government investigative agencies didn't really know what to make of the UFO phenomenon. Um, and even the, the most recent set of government documents released from Great Britain uh, and their UFO desk in the Ministry of Defense, they, they addressed, they, they saw UFOs as a potential for weaponizing of technology. They looked at it as, if this is a real thing, we should definitely investigate it uh, to get an upper hand because they're demonstrating very advanced technologies that we could benefit from. Um, it's reasonable to assume that the other uh, governments of the world have, have looked at it the same way and actually 
many of the other governments of the world have released similar documents, um, and it's only the United States that seems to be um, kind of pig-headed in, in the event that, that all of their documents aren't released. But then we come back to that conspiracy point, which I'm glad Ian brought up, is um, a lot of people do tend to jump on conspiracy very quickly. Um, and there are some flaws with that, because one, conspiracy uh, necessitates, in some regard, uh, hyper-competency, which is we all know governments don't really work like that. Right. But what does happen is governments are steep in bureaucracy, and bureaucratic systems are prone to stonewalling and uh, what you might call cronyism. Um, if more than three people might be privy to some information and decide to do a little something else with it besides the, uh, the, the direction of the agency, or that maybe um, they're just not all on the same page about what to do with something. And you've got different desks, you know, the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing, leading right. to a lot of um, just confusion about the whole thing. Which is where I think a lot of this conspiracy theory comes from, is I think the, the governments of the world are just as confused about the situation as we are, and uh, their, their solution to it is to try to develop technologies and weapons to combat a perceived threat. And adding more fuel to the fire of developing very advanced aircraft that demonstrate similar characteristics to these things that uh, have been reported as so-called UFOs for really the entirety of recorded human history. Yeah, so I mean, you know, and, and that brings up the other point. Um, it's very frequent that once you start talking about UFOs, you get into the ancient aliens um, kind of theories and stuff like that. So now the cover-up does not just simply extend to, you know, the the CIA and the KGB and stuff like that, but, you know, pharaohs or, you know, it, it goes it goes so far down the rabbit hole that, again, the, the idea that nobody ever picked up a single thing that, you know, was 100% conclusive proof it seems astonishing to me. You know, again, if, if an alien race was tired of getting shot down over south the southwest of America by, you know, this crappy government or whatever. So land in New York. Even if you don't make it to the ground, there's going to be millions of people to see the ship coming down and people are going to be like, what the what was that? It's, it's again, well, it's so easy in my, from my view, for you to prove me wrong. And I'd be, I'd be so thrilled if you did it. If you, you came up to me and you're like, Kimberly, in your face, here is my buddy Grok. He is from Venus. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be like, this is the best day ever. Thank you, Jason. You could disprove me any day of the week by hard, hard evidence that didn't disappear, that didn't, that, that is a reliable source that never then went ahead and, and uh, disproved itself in later shenanigans. You know what I'm saying? Like, All right. Proof. So what, <laughs> what in your mind is proof of an alien artifact? It would have to be of um, so now we're talking artifacts, yeah. We're talking about sure. something, something from um, the ground. Not necessarily I mean, old, just physical. Uh, yeah, it would uh, be technology that we could not replicate in any way, shape, or form with a definitive purpose. Um, I mean, I think I'd be open to it. I, I think I'd be open to a lot of things, even if you know it was um, somehow clearly manufactured and uh, through a process that I could not possibly duplicate okay. and and we could all take a look at it 
Like I think so, that would go a, a long way. All right. So suppose um, let me let me try to formulate this idea. Um, we know that uh, based on planetology, what well, we know of the other uh, planets in our solar system, right? We know that our star, the Sun, is at least a second generation star, right? Or we have a lot of evidence to support this. The, the, the working theory is that all of the heavier elements that we know of in the universe, including the stuff that makes us up, was all cooked up in those original protostars. When those protostars went supernova, they collected into the, um, the, the planetary nebulas and then coalesced into solar systems. Heavier elements now exist as planets and gases and all this other stuff that, that we know throughout our solar system and elsewhere in the universe. Now that means that everything on Earth exists elsewhere in the solar system in the universe. So um, all the metals, all the elements, all that stuff, it's the same thing everywhere. So if something were manufactured off-world and brought here, it would be extremely difficult to determine definitively that that came from uh, right. an alien world. It would also be very difficult to um, perceive of or physically describe a sufficiently advanced technology that we wouldn't be able to... Oh, where am I going? I'm getting lost. Okay, so uh, uh, they say that uh, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, mm -hmm. right? So um, if we have a, a truly advanced civilization that's using technologies that are somewhat less physical than our own, you know, we beat our heads together with with uh, metal and we have a lot all, all these mechanics and things like that where and we're we're just now starting to develop ubiquitous technologies things that just blend into the environment things that um, we can incorporate into uh, you know subatomic structures um, molecular mechanics things things of those nature carbon nanotubes um, these are all just really innovative technologies that we're just starting to scratch the surface on. So in a sufficiently advanced civilization, using the materials available to them elsewhere in the universe, becomes very difficult to definitively prove that it is, in fact, alien. And that's where some of the problems are going to come from with this, to actually find something that really is proof that of being alien is going to be hard. And that's one of the things. Like you, But you're going the counterway... You, you know, an average person finding a piece of high-tech um, aircraft that they don't understand will think it's alien. Right. right. So do you, you, know, do you, as an individual, know how to back engineer a, a 747? Nope. <laughs> One were to crash in your backyard. Right. So you know, you're talking about certain realms of where you can't prove anything. And that's really one of the bigger problems with all this. Now, I personally do believe there is life out there. Which mm -hmm. the universe is way too big for there not to be other life out there. Right. But yeah, I um I definitely don't think it would be humanoid because the chances of, you know, and that's another problem I have with a lot of the sightings is they're always so humanoid. And it's uh -huh. like that doesn't make any sense because the chances of evolution happening in that uh, such a similar pattern mm -hmm. on another planet, it, it doesn't, you know, for science fiction it's fun to do and you know some of the stories I've written I've used humanoid. In fact, you know, one story that Mac I think liked, I used giant lizards which was a bit of a cop-out, but <laughs> it, it makes them easier to explain. Right, and so, actually, that's a good point. Um, human perception. Yeah. 
Um, we, we, we've talked a lot about human perception and our ability to uh, recognize things as they are. Um, taking the scientific or the, the sci-fi approach just for the purposes of speculation, um, suppose that this sufficiently advanced alien intelligence, civilization, what have you, advanced beyond the need of a physical body existed very energetically and tried to interact with a human consciousness, a human human being, um, that human would have an incredible difficulty relating to this blob of energy, whether it be a ball or just a luminescent smudge. And this actually kind of takes us back to maybe biblical references, maybe um, things that that uh, religions have been started out of, and it's it's a very unique uh, side effect of humanity to deify pretty much anything. Right. Um, but um, the point being, um, suppose that this this alien intelligence is, is pure energy, um, and it's trying to communicate with a human being. Um, it would make sense that they would do their best to manifest in such a way that a human being could relate to them. So, um, with, if that needs to be right. um, manifesting well, as the, the ghost of their dear Aunt Sally, or as a... Well, that, that crosses into some odd areas, and it's definitely speculation. Sure. So, and I do believe you have something you need to be getting to here soon, so we probably that's need to wrap it up. That's canceled. Yeah, I was just about to say. Actually, it, yeah, it canceled them. So we got, oh, it did? You have it. How are we doing time-wise, Mac? Well, we're running at about, uh, we, we're going on an hour and a half, so. Okay, well, but but we know a big gap of that. He was off, so we probably should try and wrap it up, so. Like, um, okay. Well, before we go, um, if I may, there are a couple of links I wanted to mention. Like, I think we touched on uh, a lot of things, but I did want to mention the University of Nebraska-Omaha UFO Study Group. Um, they are a, they're an organiza- a student organization, the University of Nebraska at Omaha, obviously. Uh, and they're uh, an affiliate organization with the Crypto Science Society. Um, I guess something was going on in about 2007 that everybody decided we needed to have some uh, organizations through the college colleges to uh, address these matters. Um, their website's a little bit uh, rough as far as how it's organized, but it's got a lot of good information on it. So if you can get through the organization, uh, I highly recommend going there and checking that out. Um, I invite everybody to uh, like the Crypto Science Alumni Society page on Facebook um, and follow us there. And uh, if anybody in the area is interested, uh, I'm going to be talking at the UFO Watchtower in Hooper, Colorado this Sunday at 9 a.m. There's a, a conference going on there. Um, so I highly recommend anybody to come down there, check it out, and uh, see if you see if you can find anything. Let's put that link up on the website. That sounds great. Yeah. So cool. yeah, go ahead and throw those links up there. Uh, so um, we'd like to thank Jason Cardova for joining us tonight. It actually was a real good conversation, I think. Thank you. I agree. I've enjoyed yeah. you as a guest, Jason. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and we may have to have you back. I would love. Let Brian to. have a chance at you. <laughs> so um. We, as always, we encourage feedback. If you like this, you know, this was a bit off from our normal podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We have the Facebook page. We have AmateurSkeptics.com. You can email us at um, WTF at Amateur Skeptics. Uh, you know, find us. Give us some input. Tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. We love to hear that stuff. We need more of it. So um, looks like we're wrapping up. 
And I think that's about it. So if everyone would like to say good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. Should be a protocol for that 48 bit processor underneath your hat. There should be a protocol for that. If only you weren't human, you'd be so much more useful. If only you weren't human, we program you. Sure.